With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful by this link. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this. I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube. And anywhere you're listening <laughs> to podcasts, <laughs> today we're talking best and worst case scenario for the NFC. How you doing, Sam? Doing good. I mean, you know it's a different day because my strobe light isn't going. I'm going to so try far. and do this show without the fan going and see if we can last. Completely different day. It's a completely different PFF shirt than I wore on Monday. I just wear the same shirt every day. That's how we roll. Uh, but there are on a bunch Monday, of them in the drawer upstairs. Yeah, we do. I might grab another one. They're very comfy. Um, we, on Monday, went team by team in the AFC, gave a little best and worst case scenario. We're going to do a little tight version of that for the NFC today uh, as best we can. We're also asking you, the people, uh, to vote on a future episode for us. We want to talk NFL draft historically, 1999, 2006, 2008, some old draft where we'll just, you know, review it, talk about it, have some fun with it. Uh, let us know any drafts that appeal to you, and, and we'll do that on a future show. So let us know. Ready to go? Yeah. We're going to get into the best and worst, worst case scenarios in the NFC. We're going to go reverse alphabetical order, much like we did in the AFC. So that starts with the Washington Commanders, Sam. What's the best case scenario for the Washington Commanders? It's got to be centered around Sam Howell being the dude, right? Yeah. Uh, best case scenario for them is Sam Howell is good. Um, and they have their quarterback. And they found him in the fifth round. And now they have the cheat code for NFL success, which is talented, good quarterback on a rookie, on a rookie deal. And not just a rookie deal, but a fifth-round rookie deal, which is worth absolute peanuts to the team like that is their jackpot scenario which would put them i think in the playoffs you know in the nfc uh admittedly tough division relative to some other ones but i think that would probably force them into the, the postseason um as one of those wild cards within that nfc east yeah it's definitely surrounding uh sam howell i think the other interesting thing here is i i, I think washington's roster is solid right i mean the yeah. other part i would add here is chase young in a, a basically a contract year they they denied his fifth year option 
And if he comes back healthy, now you're talking about Chase Young with Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne and Montez Sweat, maybe the best starting defensive line in the NFL, at least they are in my opinion. Maybe they don't have the depth as uh, as maybe the Eagles have or whatever, but all of those guys come together. And so you could have a really good defense and you got some playmakers, man, with Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel, Logan Thomas, to go with Sam Howell. All of those things come together and the commanders are in the playoff picture. I don't know how, how much damage they can even do. Of course, that depends on Sam Howell being like a phenom versus just good. But if he's good, right. they're a playoff caliber team. And I think that's a fair best case scenario for Washington. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, that that I think is definitely a real... Like, they were not a bad team last season despite their quarterback situation. If Sam Howell is actually pretty good, they're in a good spot. Now, worst case scenario, I think it's going to look... I think the answers are going to look similar for, say, Washington, you know, when we eventually get to the Falcons in three hours right. with uh, Desmond Ritter. It's just, is their young quarterback good? So worst case scenario is Sam Howell's not good and you're looking for a quarterback next year and he's not good to the point where you're winning just a handful of games. Now, maybe it ends up being good because you're uh, in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes by accident, uh, right. but uh, that would be the worst case here for Washington is just you lose a lot of games because quarterback play. Well, at which point your worst case becomes a combination of you're, you're, you're way out on Sam Howell. Like he's obviously not good enough to be a starting caliber quarterback. Maybe you end up benching him. You go to Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby Brissett actually wins you a couple of games. Now you actually take yourself out of the Caleb Williams week stakes because yeah. Jacoby won you a few games. And now you're only picking fifth overall in the draft but you don't have a quarterback so that is probably their true worst case scenario well-painted worst case scenario sam howell is not good but you're good enough to to lose out on the top quarterbacks next year right all right that's washington um i'll tell you what a good good case scenario is as a parent your top priority is always your children's well-being so i'd say life insurance is a good best case scenario you want to give them everything they need to grow and thrive both now and in the future with term life insurance from fabric by gerber life help protect your family so their future is secure no matter what happens fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy quickly often in less than 10 minutes life insurance can have a bad rap for being complicated but fabric makes it easy to apply with its seamless digital experience it's all online and on your time and if you need the extra support you can access a team of licensed agents who can answer questions along the way so take steps to help protect your family today with fabric by gerber life take the 60 second quiz to find out if term life insurance is right for you and apply today in just 10 minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl that's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl m-e-e-t fabric.com slash pffnfl policies issued by western western southern life insurance company and distributed by gerber life agency llc by using fabric technology is not available in certain states price is subject to underwriting health questions for more information visit us at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl not my best work tampa bay bucks are next will you even allow yourself to say that the best case scenario is baker mayfield becomes the guy no i don't think that that's a realistic outcome even in don't. a best case scenario show here yeah i know i just don't i'm out i'm out on baker i just don't see it anymore best case scenario maybe kyle trask takes over but so here's what i think they have they still have a lot of talent on this team particularly the wide yeah. receivers mike evans chris godwin russell gage godwin's going to be another year removed from his knee injury i think they could be better offensively just by having dave canales taken over I think the run game will be more effective. So best case is 
the things that were so bad last year offensively are just automatically good because of the change of scenery and all that stuff, you know, new, new regime. And it's a weak NFC South. So we're talking about a team that can win the NFC South again. So when we're talking like, what is the season outcome? The Bucs can win the South. I don't think they do damage in the playoffs, but they can win the South this year, even with Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask at quarterback. Like, is that their goal? Like, what's the what's success for Tampa Bay this season? Like, from an ownership point of view, you know? If you were, if you're the Bucs owners. I, I don't know if you're happy. I mean, I don't know if you're long-term happy with that because I don't think they're bad enough. They, they're Say what you want about Todd Bowles, like the head coach. He's a good defensive coach. They'll have a solid defense. They still have talents there. Their offense could be better just because they've got the playmaking talents over there. So it's going to be tough. For, I think it's going to be tough for them to win only two or three games. I think it's going to be really tough in the NFC for them to be competing for Caleb Williams. Right. Which puts you right in that seven to nine win range, which could win the South. So, yeah, I mean – the goal would be like, hey, it'd be awesome if we could have Caleb Williams. I don't think they're bad enough to do that, though. Yeah, so, I mean, you could convince me that Baker Mayfield can have the kind of season that can get Tampa Bay in that, you know, nine-win range, which could win them the NFC South. I don't think even after that, you would be sort of confident hitching your wagon to Baker Mayfield going forward. Again, not unless he plays at a level that I'm just not anticipating. But if that's considered a successful season, for the Bucs, like, hey, we have no shot whatsoever of winning a Super Bowl, but we win the division and everybody's happy, then cool. And, and that, I think, is a realistic outcome for them because that division isn't great and all they have to do is get past New Orleans effectively or a surprise Carolina or, you know, whatever. But, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a realistic best-case scenario is that somehow the quarterback situation is viable and the rest of the roster is good enough in the hangover of, of the Tom Brady era that they still win the division. Worst case scenario, again, we'll say this for a few NFC teams, is you're, you don't win a lot of games. Everything is not good, but you, know, you might be getting the next great quarterback in a Caleb Williams or a Drake May or whoever else is coming out. So that's like the, the fallout. But what could go wrong there? The offense that was rough last year is going to look worse because Tom Brady's not there and it's Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask. Yeah, Baker hasn't played well in three years. Kyle Trask has not looked good even in the preseason. So you don't have great options at quarterback on paper. I think the offensive line comes with massive question marks after they weren't good last year. And in the defense, right? Like they're again, they're solid, but they don't have the same pieces that they had even just two years ago. So we're looking at a below average team that plays below average football and wins a handful of games. Yeah, similar story to Washington. Like the worst case scenario is the quarterback situation is non-viable. You bounce between Baker, Kyle Trask, whoever else ends up starting a game for them. John Walford is on the roster right now. Maybe he gets a couple of starts because of that's how bad it is. But they somehow win enough games that they're not picking number one overall and they actually have work to do to get the quarterback that they want. Um, the other sort of worst case scenario is that the players that they've added, you know, in, in the last couple of years at reasonably high draft pick positions simply don't pan out. So Joe Tryon Shayinka took a step forward last year. If he doesn't take another one or if he goes back, he's becoming kind of a miss. He was a supposed to be a project first rounder anyway, like a guy that was going to take some development. But if he simply doesn't develop, that's problematic. Same with Logan Hall on the defensive line, more of an interior player, but a guy that was supposed to be making noise at this point in terms of 
contributions to that defensive line. And, and if he doesn't, and then, you know, the one they drafted this year, Kalijah Kansi, the Aaron Donald comps, but the flip side of that is, well, there's a reason Aaron Donald slid number 14 or whatever it was when he was drafted. Like, what if Kalijah Kansi embodies the concerns for a guy of that size rather than the exceptions to to those players and, and simply doesn't look good year one? Yeah, going back to the best case scenario for a, a little bit, it's like the youth movement in Tampa Bay, those, those guys stepping up and looking promising on the bad side as if they... If they're not, we're talking about a Tampa Bay team going in the wrong direction. Um, Over-under for both Tampa Bay and Washington, by the way, over at DraftKings, looking at their over-under. Win total, 6.5 for both teams. On to the Seattle Seahawks, where they're at 8.5. A A little more optimism in Seattle. What does the best-case scenario look like for the Seahawks? Um, Gino staying at the level he was last year, I guess, or at least the level he was earlier in the year, uh, the young players that they've, that they had last year and that they've assembled this year, hitting the ground running or continuing, you know, their impressive starts to Reek Woolen, developing Devin Witherspoon, looking like the best corner in the draft, like just the general, like you said, the, the youth movement continuing to actually pay dividends for the Seahawks in addition to Gino Smith continuing to look like the guy at quarterback as unexpected as that was last year yeah and it's geno smith who we've talked about on the mid-tier ish quarterback contract allowing for the rest of the roster to be better to have the investment in dk metcalf and tyler lockett to have jackson smith and jigba as this good solid number three as a rookie or d estridge but just having that wide receiver three step up for geno smith um and yeah you mentioned devin witherspoon just all of the youth from last year's draft class continuing their development. Seattle's tough, and Bobby Wagner, who could still play, coming in to solidify linebacker. There's a lot of things to maybe be positive about Seattle. Um, in the AFC, we kept talking about teams maybe, hey, maybe they can get to the AFC championship, but there's so many of them. Can Seattle get to the NFC championship, where it looks like it's the Eagles and the Niners, but it's a fine line there in the NFC. It's not as competitive as the AFC can Seattle get to the NFC Championship and beyond if all those things go right? Yeah, I mean, if you assume, like, the AFC, there's so many good teams, you're going to have to run a gauntlet to get anywhere in the playoffs. Whereas in the NFC, if we assume that we're expecting, effectively, a rematch of the NFC Championship game, 49ers-Eagles again, for somebody else to get there, all they need is to win, you know, one game against a really good opponent. And you don't even necessarily need that if somebody else knocks that guy, you know, knocks that team off for you. Like if, you know, if Washington somehow shocks the Eagles in the first round of the playoffs, then all you, your pathway could be clear to play the Niners in the in the NFC Championship game. So who knows? But like, yeah, it's possible. I I think for Seattle, making them and looking good, even you know, looking better than a year ago, is is probably the most optimistic scenario. I guess that probably like you could throw an NFC Championship game appearance in there, but to me, that's almost. I, like it, that would be looking too much at the results rather than the sort of the outcome, like the the process, like because they're not going to be better, I don't think, than the Eagles and the Niners, right? So to get to, okay, they can still get to the title game, but that's kind of besides the point because the 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 sort of the mark to clear is actually being better than those two teams, which is not, I don't think, a realistic outcome. So it's just being back on the right track. Geno Smith still being good, justifying the investment in him as the guy over the next couple of years. Worst case scenario, though, basically, Geno turns back into a pumpkin. Yeah. Um, yeah more specifically, I mean, really 
he was number two in the NFL in turnover-worthy plays. I think he only had nine official interceptions during the regular season. So the touchdown-to-interception ratio looks incredible. So very specifically, if Gino, who, again, I, so impressed with what he did last season, a few very elite, just elite games, if if the lack of consistency comes back to bite or, or the, the turnover luck, right? If he keep, he had a lot of issues throwing the ball – into harm's way in the end zone in particular if a lot of those things come back to bite this year then we might be talking about seattle picking back in the top 10 i think that's a also a realistic outcome despite all the optimism coming out of seattle from last season yeah i mean he took he looked a lot worse down the stretch but so did the offensive line yeah it's difficult to know where the blame landed there if i mean the biggest problem is gino going back to that level though like the offensive line being bad would be an issue but you could work around it if it's actually this is Gino who just reverted back to Gino that I mean you can get away from it but that's clearly a lot worse for Seattle because they thought they found a quarterback well Sam what if the player you benched in fantasy football just went off well with best ball and DraftKings you get the best of your team all season long there's no bench this year, best ball on DraftKings is bigger and better than ever with $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes up for grabs. Join DraftKings' biggest best ball contest today and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars as soon as the draft is over. You enter the DraftKings Best Ball Millionaire Contest and snake draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scorers. There's no ads, no drops, and no trades. Teams with the most points by the end of the season will have a shot to take home the $1 million top prize. Head to the DraftKings app and sign up with the code PFF. Join the DraftKings $10 million Best Ball Tournament and get your first entry back in DraftKings dollars. That's code PFF only on DraftKings. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. One per customer. Opt-in required with $10 entry fee. Bonus issued as 10 DK dollars. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See DraftKings.com slash promotions for details. Ends July 14th, 2023. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, man, we're on to the San Francisco 49ers. Best case scenario for the Niners this year. They, they do exactly what we just talked about. They appear in a rematch of the NFC Championship game, only this time they have quarterbacks and therefore might actually show that they're capable of making it to a Super Bowl and, and winning a championship. Yeah, Sam I mean, Donald. they're another one of those teams. Obviously, you know, elite contender, their best outcome involves a championship, involves a Lombardi trophy. Um, but simply, you know, not having the season taken away from them by uh, by injuries would be a big step in the right direction. Yeah, I think more specifically, it's, it's Brock Purdy, the quarterback. I mean, I guess it doesn't matter. I mean, we're just painting a right. picture. Like, if if Trey Lance actually wins the job and becomes the running threat that we talked about and develops as a passer, like, all that's fair. I think more, most realistically, it's it's Brock Purdy builds on what was a, such an impressive rookie season uh, because he's making under a million dollars a year over the next few years. And he becomes the guy that you build around and you become a powerhouse for the next few years with rookie contract Brock Purdy all of your plethora of playmakers, Kyle Shanahan at the dials, Javon Hargrave coming in as a great pass rusher. 
All of that comes together. And it doesn't matter that D'Amico Ryans is gone. The defense is still going to be good. You've got a great linebacker core and a pass rush. And you've got players in the secondary. And you're a championship caliber team. And you get over the hump and win a title. Worst case scenario, yeah. though. Okay. I mean, well, I, I, I guess it feels greedy to be sort of specifying which quarterback, you know, looks good. I, I feel like if if the 49ers come out of the season, they've been in the title game, they've been in the Super Bowl, whatever, and a quarterback has been playing well for them. I think that's the best case scenario. I, I It feels really, feels like you're getting greedy to be like, but it has to be Purdy because that's the even better contract and that's maximizing the, the good scenario for them. I mean, if I was, well, if I was being greedy, I think I'd rather Trey Lance be good because I pr he probably adds a dimension to my offense. At the same time, you'd have to pay him sooner. So you, you factor in that stuff. But either way, Quarterback play is good enough to win a championship. That's the best case scenario for the Niners. Worst case scenario, though, Brock Purdy wasn't that guy. Yeah, quarterback play the other way. Yeah. I mean, it really, like, Brock Purdy's not the same guy post elbow, whether or not that's actually cause or effect. Like, whether or not he was always going to regress, he just had a really good run, or whether or not an elbow injury is actually prevented, like, tragically prevented this incredible story from you know, reaching its full potential, whatever, him not working out, and then Trey Lance not being able to rescue that would be even worse, right? Like, Purdy not working out would be bad. That would be unideal. That's not what they're looking for. Trey Lance then failing as a sort of backup option, having uh, quote-unquote failed. Like, it's harsh to call him a failure at this point, but like, you know what I mean. Hasn't immediately seized the starting job with both hands. Him then failing to seize the starting job as a backup option to Brock Purdy, his failure. And then whatever Sam Darnold ends up being, like just some combination of somehow the 49ers have had these three options going into the season and none of them manifested as a viable starter going forward. The other things I would highlight in addition to the quarterback might be attrition. So offensive line, as we've mentioned, you know, it's not the highest graded offensive line. They've got some weaknesses there. Have to replace Mike McGlinchey at right tackle. Yeah. And then coaching attrition, right? They they handled the loss of Robert Sala a couple of years ago. D'Amico Ryans took over, proved to be an awesome defensive coordinator, but now he's out. They Mike McDaniel's gone, but they were still good offensively now. But now you lose Bobby Slowick, right? Can they handle all of the coaching attrition? from the last couple of years and even in the front office they're you know losing Rand Carthon and you're losing a lot from a very well-run organization over the last couple of years that also could potentially come back to bite in a worst case scenario where maybe they don't make the playoffs also like if the quarterback play is that bad are they even a playoff team yeah I mean you feel like the offensive side will be fine simply because you know Kyle Shanahan it at minimum, regardless of how much credit he deserves relative to his uh, assistant coaches, at the very minimum, you know he can kind of step in to bridge whatever gap is there if the next guy stinks, right? So if who, if the, the replacement for Bobby Slowick is a disaster, you know Kyle Shanahan can kind of step in and fix that. Whereas the defensive side would be the side you'd be more concerned with. If the, you know, if losing D'Amico Ryans is an absolute body blow, then that's not something that Kyle Shanahan can just step in and fix from his side of the ball. You know, that that would be a potential concern. All right, we're on to the Philadelphia Eagles. By the way, the Niners over under. We have, we have them at 10.5 over at DraftKings. Uh, the Eagles are at 11.5. I don't think there's anyone besides the Chiefs up at that level. 11.5 for the Eagles. Obviously, the best-case scenario is them 
winning the Super Bowl, going back to the Super Bowl and winning it. Uh, what needs to happen for that to occur for the Eagles this year? Yeah, I mean, best case scenario, one step closer, you actually win the championship. Um, not much needs to happen, really, for them to do that again. Jalen Hurts the, the doesn't drop the football. Yeah, I mean, they're the prohibitive favorites in the NFC. You would expect them to be in the NFC title game uh, and then see what can happen from there. The only, I mean, the only things you can even bring up to sort of highlight are the maintaining of the incredible play for, you know, really important players like Jalen Hurts. We talked about development is not always linear. It's been pretty linear for Jalen Hurts. So if anything deviates from that straight line graph from what is it, 55 grade to 77 to 88, like if that doesn't continue next year or doesn't plateau or actually goes down, that's a problem. Same thing with AJ Brown and, and uh, Devontae Smith and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then again, like Cincinnati, the the planned obsolescence, the succession plans that they've had in place at various positions, they're covered, but that it's that's assuming a certain baseline of play from all these players, which if it doesn't happen is a problem. So Reed Blankenship at safety, Terrell Edmonds at safety, N'Kobe Dean at linebacker. Like th there's all these different spots where they planned the next guy to come in and seamlessly take the place of the guy that departed in free agency or whatever it is. If they catch a crappy end of distributions, you know, from those guys and you just get a, an unfortunate, like most of them don't work out, that will be problematic. Yeah, I would add to that maybe the age at the quarterback group as well, or the, the starters, Darius Slay and James Bradbury. So basically everything that we thought was awesome for the Eagles last year, the fact that <laughs> they got Slay playing a little bit better, they got Bradbury to compliment him. James Bradbury has had an up-and-down career, and he's getting older, right? So there is there is a world where those guys do drop off a little bit, and the Eagles just just have little holes across the up-and-down the roster that they didn't have a year ago. I mean, simple volatility could, you know, would yeah. explain cornerback stuff. Like, we, Darius Slay has had bad seasons in his career as well. Like, if Darius Slay and James Bradbury simply coincide having a bad year each at the same time, it's probably harder to do given the rest of that defense. But if that... That happens at the same time as, you know, Blankenship and Dean and Edmonds, you know, not being the players that they were expected to be. It could happen where that defense, it's not going to unravel completely. I think there's too much talent there, but it could take a big step backwards because of that. Yeah, again, I, I, I like the Eagles. I love their roster and all that stuff. It's just a matter of what are the, what are the potential flaws going forward. I think the Jalen Hurts thing is – is interesting though, right? Because every time a quarterback, repeating myself for the millionth time, it's not just a Madden progression, even though it looks like it for Jalen Hurts and it kind of looked like it for Josh Allen. Josh Allen actually went from level to like big spike. Right. Jalen Hurts has been pretty clear Madden-like progression. Does that level off, right? Because if you want to play that narrative, Derek Carr should still be getting better. Like there are guys that looked like they were on this Madden progression for a while. If Jalen Hurts levels off or takes a step back or whatever it might be, you know, maybe they're not as good. I mean, especially yeah, I wouldn't with more be concerned. investment in him now going forward. Yeah, I wouldn't be concerned with it leveling off. The concern would be, what if it goes back? Yeah. Like, again, it, it's not this linear Madden line, but it has been for Jalen Hurts. Like, we know that that can go the other way. What happens if he loses 10 grading points and goes back to being the 77 graded guy from the year before, which was good, which was fine, which is you know, good enough to win games, et cetera, but was not a kind of MVP candidate that can go slug it out with Patrick Mahomes in a Super Bowl.
All right, so we're moving on to the New York Giants' best and worst case scenario. So I said the Eagles over under is 11.5. The Giants' default here on DraftKings is 7.5. I know they made the playoffs. They were really good last year. But what's the best case scenario now for the Giants? Is it just last year? Or can they get past getting smoked in the divisional round? No, I think the best case for them is maintaining what happened a year ago. Like, actually, because last year was basically the best case scenario for the Giants, right? It was like, what if all of this stuff works right away and the bad problems for the team or the bad parts of the roster aren't really relevant and we shock another overachieving sort of fraudster team in the playoffs, like, and sort of hide the fact that we shouldn't be there in the first place either. Like, last year really was the absolute best case scenario for the Giants. So if you're simply able to replicate that, that's that's as good as it gets this year. Can we paint a better picture where Daniel Jones is is he's getting a better supporting cast and we're we're creeping up toward that what I used to think this Nick Foles level of volatility, this peak where if you put everything around him, it's that much better. I, I don't think we're there yet from a receiving core standpoint, but it should be better. The offensive line should be better. Um, if Saquon Barkley comes back and plays, you've got that run game component with Daniel Jones in the backfield. You can't put all that together and you know get to the NFC Championship, maybe. No, okay, because they were so like they, they were so overachieving last year that to simply replicate that again this year, I think, would be a real achievement. You want to take a, another step ahead of that? I mean, so for what you're saying to happen, you would effectively have to buy the supposition that last season was actually not overachieving for the Giants, but was a manifestation of Brian Dayball and the coaching, you know, the the coaching ability that this group had to extract more than the sum of the parts. And that will continue in perpetuity, much like it does for, you know, guys like Andy Reid or whatever, right? Okay, if that is your baseline, like if that's the stipulation, then I guess you say if you improve his receiving core a little bit, if you know um, Evan Neal improves dramatically up front on the right tackle, if the interior gets better, then there is a scenario where this offense takes a big step forward and the defense with a bit more talent there. Then yeah, I guess maybe if that's the real dynamic at play here, they could be a better team. I mean, yet again, it feels like. Um, a little bit like the Seahawks discussion where the title game itself is kind of irrelevant because I don't see there's a world where they're better than Philadelphia and San Francisco, but but they could be better than last year. So let's that that's the thing, right? So if they overachieve again, right? Because on paper, they don't look great. But if they win another 10 games, even if they do get smoked in the divisional round, is it like, man, maybe Brian Dable and staff, are, they're, they're the dudes, right? I don't know if Daniel Jones is the guy to get them over the hump, and they might need to revisit that in a couple of years, but Dayball might – we'll start talking about him as Mike Vrabel. I'll put that as the best conversation because we think Vrabel is, is so good as a coach. He'll be in that top tier of coaches. We could put Dayball in that conversation a year from now if they overachieve again. Well, their best-case scenario is a season like Philadelphia's a couple of years ago. Remember when they – took a step forward, they made the playoffs, and then they got wrecked by Tampa Bay, right? And it was like, oh, you see, that's the golfing class. Like, that's the difference between a good team and a real contender. And then next year, Philadelphia came back with a championship-caliber team. That would be the real ideal scenario for the Giants, is that they get there again, even if they get wrecked, 
by you know the, the Eagles or the 49ers or a true contender, but they've at least shown that they're still moving in the right direction because I think simply repeating last year would be a step forward because they will probably would deserve it this year more than they did last year given the the way those two seasons worked. So I think simply doing that again would be their best case scenario. I don't because the step like the the big sea change from last year in terms of a positive development would be the year that the Eagles just had, which is look like the best team in the in the conference, you know, make it to the Super Bowl even if you don't win it. I just don't that just feels too far for the Giants. Worst case feels pretty easy. I mean, we, we, it could be a top 10 pick for the Giants. Uh, Daniel Jones has had years where he's graded in the 60s or low 70s. I think that's always in the range of outcomes for Daniel Jones, just like a high 70s, maybe even a low 80s grade uh, is in the range of outcomes for Daniel Jones. So if he's back in the low 70s, the offensive line isn't actually that much improved. The fact that they may do last year with a lesser receiving core just catches up to them. And the volatility of defense and the volatility of one play, all those single plays that went their way last year to help them win games just, just go the other way. Yeah, so effectively they catch the other end of variance across the board is their worst-case scenario. So both in terms of all those plays bouncing the other way and Daniel Jones. So Jones had five interceptions last year and 19 turnover-worthy plays. Like if, that, if he goes from being a sort of luckier um quarterback to an unluckier one like if next year like let's say he replicates the turnover worthy play rate 3.1 percent which is reasonably high let's say he gets unlucky with that and all of a sudden he has 23 interceptions and plays at the same level otherwise even with the running ability now you're looking at a quarterback who is a turnover machine is not manufacturing any big plays to offset that even with the even with the running ability, that's just not enough. And you just gave him a contract that you now want out of. That's your worst case scenario. All right, moving on to the New Orleans Saints. Best and worst case scenario for the Saints. I mean, I think it's winning the division with Derek Carr. Yeah. You get the best quarterback in the division. I think that's your best case. But can they even do damage beyond that in the playoffs? So that would be the question. Do they have a realistic outcome beyond winning the division? Because that... That seems like what they've set up to do, right? We winning it, winning the division is good for us. We get the playoffs, we get everybody excited, everybody's engaged all season long, and that's probably as good as we can do. And we could do that with Derek Carr. Do they actually have the capacity to do anything more than that? I mean, I I think one of the big questions is going to be Dennis Allen at as head coach. Are because you you. Is it results-based or is it narrative-based? At the end of this season, can we at least say, hey, the Saints took this step forward as a franchise. They win the division. Derek Carr looks like he's going to be the same type of quarterback he is with the Raiders. He's capable of leading a playoff team and everything. Defense is still really good. But Dennis Allen's at least the guy here. We might not be ready to win more than one playoff game, but we've shown that Dennis Allen's like out of Sean Payton's shadow, basically. I think that's one of the... Uh, Part of the best case scenario here for the Saints is that everything's pointed up from an organizational standpoint and they're getting the roster back on track and Derek Carr is going to be good enough to win and they win the division. Yeah, so I think in a way they could win a playoff game because once you're in there, like anything sure. can happen. I mean, you never, you can never legislate for when you're going to run into like a team like the Vikings last year and win, win a game that you probably shouldn't win generally because it's a good matchup or whatever. So 
winning the division is probably what they're going to achieve. They could win a playoff game once they make it because there will be other teams in the NFC playoffs that don't look great. Um, but I think a realistic best case scenario for them is you come out of this season and you're encouraged that this can have some long-term viability to it. Not just congratulations, Derek Carr made you you like the division champions in 2023, hang the banner. But actually, there's a scenario where if we put a couple of pieces here or there, we tinker with the roster, we upgrade here, we could actually make, you know, an NFC championship game, or we could beat Philadelphia or San Francisco if things go, you know, bounce the right way. And this is there's a foundation here that could do damage beyond what we did this year, even if we didn't do it this time. Like that, I think, is probably their best case is that they they achieve what they wanted to achieve this year and they come away optimistic that there is potentially more to be had with this with the building blocks. Other specifics in best case, Chris Olave maybe becoming a start receiver, Michael Thomas yeah. probably coming back healthy, defensive line, the youth movement there, all coming um, coming good. Uh, on the negative side, worst case scenario for the Saints, okay, with the best quarterback in the division on paper, you don't win it. Derek Carr is another rough season. He had his worst season since his rookie year last year. Does he continue that? And the opposite happens. The young defensive line doesn't come together. Michael Thomas still dealing with injuries. All those other things could go wrong. Yeah, the worst case for them, I think, is pretty simple. It's like we talked about with, with Jacksonville and the AFC show. It's basically they don't win the division. This is it's another one of those divisions that feels like it's theirs to lose, right? They set themselves up with, we get Derek Carr in. That's a really high floor. We should win the division from there. And that's realistically what we're trying to do. If that doesn't happen, it's a failure of the season. And whether it's because Carolina or Atlanta or Tampa Bay were unexpectedly way better than they were supposed to be, or whether it's simply that the Derek Carr thing was, you know, just too you you set your you set your sights too low, right? You aimed at this thing that you thought would be a pretty high floor, but was a really low ceiling as well, and it just didn't wasn't good enough. And now you're sort of stuck in this purgatory world of we kind of stink but not enough to like go get Caleb Williams or whatever that that's that's tanks for the Saints all right we're moving on to the Minnesota Vikings what's the best case scenario for the Vikings Sam it, it is as it's always been um you time the Kirk Cousins run for the postseason oh. right you you make it you get there as you do you know half the time whatever it is whatever their their actual strike rate is and then you actually hit that Kirk Cousins run, right? So then instead of winning 11 straight one-score games in the regular season, that doesn't start happening until week 18. And then the wild card round, or the division round, or the, you know what I mean? That's your run. And you simply time the Kirk Cousins run that we know is there and is capable of existing um, for the right time. And they subsequently knock off a bunch of teams. And Maybe a Super Bowl is too rich to ask, but they could put themselves in the title game with you know a run like that and one really good performance against one of those big juggernaut teams. Yeah, the the term competitive rebuild has been used for the Vikings as well because they've lost some bigger name players, right? They've they've lost big name players, replacing them with younger players. So it's those younger players, which which does happen historically in football, not all the time, but it's it's sometimes it's okay to get rid of big names and replace them with younger players, whether it's, you know, Eric Hendricks at linebacker, whatever it might be. Um, all of those things are allowed. Adam Thielen moving on at receiver. And so the young players play well, 
replace the veterans, at least, you know, even if it's, you know, two-thirds of their production, three-quarters of their production. But the roster overall, the roster health is better. And then just having a new defensive scheme, you know, just out with the old, in with the new Brian Flores coming in, probably playing more man coverage, just the volatility of defense maybe leaning their way. The Vikings could be a much better their, – their peripherals, their metrics could look better, right? All the metrics that say should you win more games could look better this year even if the win totals don't. But if we get those moving in the right direction, I think that's all a win for the Vikings. In addition to, you know, maybe Cousins getting hot at the right time. What's the worst case, though, for the Vikings? They miss all, the, they miss all that talent that they got rid of. Yeah, and it's probably, it's that, it's that classic world of you're, you failed your, to achieve your goals, so you missed the playoffs. It didn't go the way you expected it to. You didn't take a step forward. In fact, you took a step back but critically not bad enough to being able to hard reset and get the next quarterback, Caleb Williams, Drake May, whatever that looks like. Like that's this world the Vikings have been stuck in for a while, which is the Kirk Cousins thing. Individually, he's been a success. He's been better, I think, than they had any realistic um, reason to expect when they signed him. Like he has overachieved expectations, but the team has probably underachieved expectations during the time when he's been overachieving expectations. So they've been trapped in this world of being average. Like every single, I mean, it's, it's become a meme, right? Every single graph you find, the Vikings are up like right in the middle. You know, where the, the two axes meet, they're in they're right slap bang middle of average at almost everything. Um, the problem with that is when you, even when you hit the crappy end of your range of outcomes, you never hit crappy enough that you can go get the top quarterback in the draft or whoever it is you think could be that guy. So that's their worst case again, is that they have a bad season relative to what they usually do, but they win six games and they're still picking like 12th. And Cousins is in the last year of his contract. I don't know if they're going to extend that at all before the season. So we're just really in QB purgatory and then roster purgatory for the Vikings in the in a worst case scenario coming out of this year. How about the Los Angeles Rams? This is an interesting one, best and worst case scenario, because best case basically involves 10 to 15 players that we don't know much about all playing well, <laughs> right? To go with the stars that they have, to go with a Super Bowl winning quarterback for, of Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, who was the best receiver in football two years ago, Aaron Donald, who's the best defensive player in football of the last 10 years. And a whole bunch of unknowns all working out. Yeah, but I don't even think they need the unknowns to work out for them to sort of hit the best case. I think what they need is the prerequisite parts for the stars to fire working. So by that, I mean, like the offensive line has to be okay. Yeah. Minimum. It, it has to be viable. It has to be solid enough because that allows Matthew Stafford to function. That allows the run game to function. That allows the McVay offense generally to function and if those things, if that offensive line is not viable, none of those things happen. So the best case scenario, I think, is the offensive line is solid and those stars are able to fire and this team immediately bounces back into the postseason. And probably, again, they're in that world of they wouldn't be, I don't think, able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Eagles and the 49ers as we expect them to be, but they could get to the next tier. Yeah, it, it's going to be such an interesting season with the Rams just because I, with with full rebuilding teams, I'm always like, yeah, you get to see the young guys and you know, who are you going to build around. And But at the same time, you have Stafford and Cup and Donald. 
too. It's not a full rebuild. There are still stars. So yeah, yeah look, I think they could. I think they could do some damage if they just stay healthier than they did last season. They weren't a disaster of a team last year. The offensive line was going to even if they stay if they stayed healthy, the offensive line was going to be an issue, and it was from the get go from week one. But they would have been far more competitive. So yeah, I think best case is you're looking at like nine or ten wins maybe. But from like a narrative and franchise standpoint, I don't know what's good coming out of this. Because Donald still might be on the doorstep of retirement and Stafford is still going to be old enough where it's like, I don't know how much I want to invest in him going forward. And you still might be in full rebuild mode a year from now with the Rams, no matter what happens with the season. Yeah, I mean, I think their best case scenario in terms of this season is, you know, making the divisional round, maybe the championship game. But you're right in terms of like what does the future look like it's difficult to imagine a neat transition period out of this season like hey other than the worst case scenario which is everything falls apart and the team stinks and you get caleb you williams can, yeah and now you can do that proper reset thing but in terms of like if they win eight nine games stafford bounces back but he's you know not he's probably never going to play the way he played before um donald is always good he's now in that world of like every off season it's going to be is he coming back is he retiring i mean even mcveigh has been you know on the fence about coming back or not like the important parts of this team are all seemingly mulling retirement at which point even if they're good this season it, it becomes pretty hard to imagine how they where they go from there so what do i think on the field could happen i think they could win nine games or whatever and sneak into the playoffs worst case scenario though it's it looks like a team that's relying on several rookies in their two deep, a plethora of rookies and second year players in their two deep that even if Stafford is healthy and back and all that, it's like going to be tough to win games. The whole narrative with Stafford is Detroit never put people around him. Therefore he couldn't produce. Well, we might be talking about that again. Hey, Stafford can't do this with everybody with nobody around him. Yeah. I mean, narrative wise, the worst case scenario for them is the windows closed, right? There's no way back it's done you had your shot you got a championship you didn't get more but regardless uh, it's go it's over now and you've got to do whatever needs to be done to go you know to restart this whole thing to go in a new direction to do something different because there's no way for this team to get back to where it was or where you want it to go that i think is probably their worst case scenario is they're bad this year and it's a clear indication of whether or not there was a debate, now the window is closed. Your Super Bowl window is done. All right, we're on to the Green Bay Packers. It's going to, just like Sam Howell, best case scenario is Jordan Love's 12 passes against the Eagles were legit. Jordan Love's the next Hall of Fame quarterback here for the Packers. What else, though, yeah, best, with Green Bay? Yeah, best case scenario is you somehow went Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, and then, you know, Pro Bowl elite caliber Jordan Love in sequence in a way that just defies logic. Um, and as you say, the, the the development we saw from him last year or the encouraging signs in a ridiculously small sample size was truly indicative of what he can be. And he can be that quarterback going forward. And by the way, the young players that are surrounding him that were sort of problems for the aging Aaron Rodgers, you know, th at the end of his career are actually a great thing for Jordan Love and they all develop together. And, and you actually create this nucleus of elite young quarterback and elite young number one wide receiver and elite young number two wide receiver and young tight ends that you just drafted. And the whole thing 
creates a foundation of like a juggernaut for the next 10 years. The the style that Jordan Love plays, though, I thought is really interesting as well because, you know, Favre was the you know, the gunslinger type and Aaron Rodgers was far more conservative with the ball, but he had, you know, incredible, has incredible arm talent. And then Jordan Love is kind of a mix of those where he's he's got good, he's got a good arm. He's going to be a little bit more, you know, careless with the football, but that leads to big play opportunities. Seeing what Jordan Love's style is, is going to be very fun to see if, so on the, on the best case scenario here is Jordan Love's arm talent shows up and he's this big play creator and maybe he cuts down on some of the bad decisions. In the worst case scenario, though, is that Jordan Love's decision-making that kind of plagued him at Utah State and then even early in his preseason games, for whatever that's worth with the Packers, chucking up Hail Marys into the end zone on first down. Like, you don't throw Hail Marys on first down. Just throwing the ball to the defense um, and not taking care of the ball, that, I think, is very much in the range of outcomes in the worst-case scenario where Love is, um, is just, you know, too crazy with the football and does yeah. not develop and he's not he's just not as good as he needs to be i mean his best season at utah state had a turnover worthy play rate of 2.9 percent which is just below the sort of problematic level that we were talking about of daniel jones last season of 3.1 percent i mean that's not problematic level but it's not good right like bryce young is the number one pick this year with back-to-back -back seasons with a turnover worthy play rate of two percent two point zero percent so it's almost a full percentage point higher than Bryce Young this season. That was in his best year. His final year, he had a turnover-worthy play rate of 5.2%, which is borderline catastrophic. I mean, that can't really function, let alone in the NFL. That was his college level. So, yes, like Jordan Love needs to be on the very, very good end of what he's shown so far in terms of taking care of the football. The the other end would be his worst case scenario is that Jordan Love is a freaking turnover machine and all the big plays in the world aren't going to offset that. Involve, in the best case scenario, the Packers could win the division here as much yeah. as we like the next team we're going to talk about, the Lions. Uh, with the Vikings question marks, the Lions need to be a front runner for the first time in, what, 30 years. The Packers could still win the division. Worst case, they don't make the playoffs again and they're sitting there wondering about their quarterback again going forward. Is Jordan Love actually the guy we need to build around? I mean, I would argue in their true best case scenario, there is definitely a range of outcomes where if Jordan Love is legit, if he's for real, the Packers have the roster that can go square up to the 49ers and the Eagles. Like, they wouldn't be as good, but they would be one of the few teams, I think, that could beat them, you know, in, in a sort of relatively decent number of of times play, you know, play the game 100 times Packers win 30 the the problem I see is Aaron Rodgers had what like a 79 80-ish grade last year if Jordan Love has that grade this year that's a that's like wow nice that's a good first starting season for Jordan Love and that Packers team right. last year didn't make the playoffs so yeah I'm still having but, a tough time putting the Packers among the best in the NFC even in a positive light for Jordan Love but remember, like their defense, I think, wildly underachieved last True. year. Like it was, remember, heading in a year ago, the narrative was this is the best defense that Rodgers ever had. And the defense stank. Um, we were like, if it would involve, it would also involve like a development of those young receivers, right? Christian Watson continues the way he left off. Uh, Romeo Dobbs takes a step forward. One of the young, like the rookie tight ends plays well. David Bakhtiari stays healthy all year. And 
Zach Tom at right tackle is as good as he was at left tackle, like all those kinds of things coming together. But I, I can definitely, like, I really struggle to put together a picture where like the Giants can do that or even the Vikings, to be honest. Like, you, you know, it's really hard to imagine a world where like one of those two teams reaches the end of the season and goes into an NFC championship game against Philadelphia or San Francisco. And you're like, yeah, this is like, they'll be underdogs, but this is a live threat. I could see that for Green Bay. Like, they are one of the teams where I could see if Jordan Love is that guy, that's possible. All right, let's go to the Detroit Lions, as we mentioned, in the NFC North. They got to play front runner. So it's winning the division, absolutely. But what else, narrative wise, this Lions team that appears to be on the upward trajectory, what's a good best case scenario for the Lions? I think really it's just that the linear Madden graph that we keep talking about just keeps going right it's allowed for teams like it can happen for teams it's just not always common for players yeah like they have been executing this rebuild perfectly um and ironically a a perfect rebuild is going to involve some imperfection because you're going to miss in some of your decisions and the, the really important part is how you adjust to the times where you miss and that i think is where i've been most impressed by detroit i like the idea of this multi-year process but when they've missed they've identified it quickly and they've adjusted and they've gone in a different direction and they fixed it so that it like one miss doesn't stall the entire project um so really they're exactly where they should be right now they are a on the precipice of the playoffs they are everybody loves them they are now the favorites i think for the division and we all expect the lions to be a really good team next year so simply meeting expectations for them i think is the the best case scenario, right, is the realistic best case scenario. Being the team that everybody expects the Lions to be this season is their best case. Uh, Other specifics I would point to is the defense. Remember how bad the defense was the first six or seven weeks of the year, then they kind of turned it around. All of the investment that they made in the secondary with Cameron Sutton coming in and Emmanuel Mosley and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, those guys panning out. Aiden Hutchinson becoming that elite pass rusher he looked like down the stretch, having that fierce defensive front, um, Alim McNeil in year three, James Houston in with more extensive playing time, like all of those defensive players really coming together, I think is part of this best case scenario. And then Jared Goff just running the show the way he has been. Again, we sit here and push back against, hey, his stats were a little inflated last year, but he is capable of playing low 80s type of football. He did it a few years ago. If he does that with Ben Johnson and these playmakers in the offensive line, we've got a very dangerous Detroit Lions team. Um, I think it, part of the worst-case scenario, though, is Jared Goff, who graded at 72 last year and had a lot of turnover luck. Grading, like if he grades at 72 again, I don't know if you can rely completely on all of the pieces around him to get the EPA per play, right? This is the way I describe it. The EPA per play and points are the goal of the offense. The quarterback's the biggest driver of that, but those are sliders as well. If Goff plays at the same level you're relying so much on everything else to go well. And uh, that could be part of their worst case scenario is Jared Goff not playing well enough. Yeah, and, and critically, you mentioned the turnovers there because one of the biggest, dri- not drivers, but one of the most, EPA per play is one of these stats where I, I like to think of it as essentially passer rating adjusted for situation, right? Like it's a composite data point that factors in not the quarterback or factors in the quarterback but isn't just the quarterback it factors in like the totality of the passing game yep. um and it it's like um 
like password rating, it's actually quite useful in that regard. But you, it's you starts to fall down where you simply ascribe it to a quarterback. You know, like X had a passer rating of whatever. Well, yeah, but like if that was a screen that went 100 yards, then the quarterback's role in that was actually pretty small. It was the receiver adding it. But it's relevant that the receiver made that play. So the passer rating itself is not at the bad number. Like you hear people all the time go, passer rating is a terrible stat. It isn't. It just doesn't quite, it's, it, it articulates something different to what to how people use it. Yeah. So I think EPA per play is similar but it's better because it adjusts for situation and all those kinds of like down and distance and that kind of stuff. But it has similar flaws in that um, like turnovers are huge, right? So there's nothing that will affect EPA per play more than turnovers. So if a quarterback gets lucky when it comes to turnovers, his EPA per play is going to be way better than it should be. And I think that kind of is what happened with the Lions a bit last year. So Jared Goff had a turnover-worthy play rate of 3.6%. So half a percentage point higher than the Daniel Jones one, which we were talking about, is not a good number. Um, and yet he only had seven interceptions, right? If that swings against him, then all of a sudden Ben Johnson is not able to make magic out of this like not great performing Jared Goff. And we're not talking about like, well, hey, you guys are screwing Jared Goff. He's way better. Look at the stats. Like, yeah, but like, the, the whole point of that, the grading, is that generally speaking, those stats will revert to the mean in either direction, right? So if that happens this year and Jared Goff remains this kind of 70-grade level quarterback, which is basically where Daniel Jones is as well, right? I.e., a quarterback that we are not 100% sure belongs in a starting job, right? That's effectively the level of play we are kind of talking about whether it's Daniel Jones or Jared Goff pulling the strings here. I wouldn't put so, it that far, but they're they're mid to low end starters, mid 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 tier starters, right? Which which when you're talking about committing big money to them is I don't know if that guy belongs in a starting job. It's the same level, right? But the point being, if he catches the bad end of luck this year, now everything that that this was built on. The Jared Goff narrative, the you guys are too mean to him, the Ben Johnson is a magician, like all of that loses the foundation that it was built on. And we just have a lot more concerns. The Lions will still be fine because they're a good team top to bottom, but the leg just got chopped out from under them because Jared Goff isn't any longer producing the way that he looked like he was producing last year. Yeah, everything you said. So worst case scenario is Jared Goff stuff. And um, <laughs> all of the rebuild, the Madden trajectory just levels off or just regresses. The volatility of uh, Emmanuel Mosley's injury and volatility of uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and some of the additions just don't pan out. But specifically, the Lions it would are be disappointment the, again. Yeah, specifically, it would be that Jared Goff plays in a way that I think sort of yeah. derails the project, right? And now you're like, uh-oh, we thought we were... We thought we were golden. Now we're not sure what to do with the most important I mean, position of the game. There's even that where it's like everything's good and they just missed the playoffs again and it's mostly Jared Goff's fault and we still have to figure out that position. Right. Dallas Cowboys. Super Bowl or bust, baby, because it's Dallas. <laughs> What's the best case scenario realistically for Dallas? The best case scenario for Dallas is that they are one of those teams that can challenge Philadelphia and San Francisco. And we reach the postseason and we – don't see any reason why Dallas can't make it Super Bowl. They got to perform better in the postseason is one of them, right? I mean, it's yeah. like 
they have games over the last couple of years where they have absolutely dominated. Dominated like a championship team. Handful of games where it was just silly, like 33 to nothing against the Colts in the second half, like all these different things. But they don't have that level of consistency. So for me with Dallas, it's got to be the playoff. Like do something in the playoffs. Make an NFC championship. Show that you can do all of that. And Don't choke. Don't choke would be it. Show that Dak can be a little bit more consistent. And, you know, you've got Brandon Cooks and Stephon Gilmore, two of those offseason moves that I'll probably be either raving about or will forget about. But I'll probably be raving about them throughout the year, much like I was the James Bradbury move with the Eagles. I think those are just two subtle moves that do it for Dallas that help put them over the top. Not over the top, but it just add that level of consistency that will help and get them to the NFC Championship in this in this best-case scenario. They're the NFC version of the Chargers, right? The the best case scenario for them is simply achieve what you're supposed to achieve every offseason. Like Dallas, Dallas is the one team in the NFC that should be able to challenge the 49ers and the Eagles. Now they just need to do it. What's the worst case scenario? They don't do that it. Not happening. <laughs> I mean, is it so is it worse for Dallas to to have to have the same exact season they've had the last two years where both of the last two years, you know us, we do every single week, and it's like, who's the team you don't want to play in the playoffs? Like, there's been stretches over the last two years where Dallas looks like the best team in the NFL for five or six weeks. Don't want to play Dallas in the playoffs until you get to the playoffs, and it's okay. You can play them. You can beat them. Is that worse to do that again, or is it worse to, like, actually just not make the playoffs? No, it's yeah, it's probably worse to do it again, and... At some point, McCarthy has to carry the can for that, right? What if what if their worst-case scenario is actually they repeat everything, the offense takes a slight step back, and meanwhile, over in Los Angeles, Kellen Moore has turned Justin Herbert into the next Patrick Mahomes and looks like the solution to everything, and you just let him walk away? I, w I will say that. Like, I've, I've defended – because I, I, I do – I've defended Mike McCarthy at times because people are like, oh, he, he was a terrible play caller in Green Bay and this and that, and they're – there was some evidence that maybe some of that was Aaron Rodgers and this, right? But that's part of the worst case scenario is that Mike McCarthy, the criticisms of Mike McCarthy, the play caller, come back here, which is he's too vanilla. He runs too much slant flat. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't use enough motion to create open a lot. Some of the things that Kellen Moore was pretty good at, and it's just this vanilla offense. And even with better talent, they don't produce. That would be part of the worst case scenario is Mike McCarthy taking over play calling and the same vibes you got five or six years ago. And particularly if, you know, it becomes pretty clear that it's his fault and Jerry Jones doesn't make a change. Because Ooh, as yeah. much as we, like Jerry Jones embodies the sort of knee-jerk, you know, billionaire thing, but he actually isn't. Like, think of how long Jason Garrett was in that job when it was manifestly clear that he had no business True. being there, right? That he was, at no point was he going to elevate this team to where it needed to go. And yet he clung on for years because... You know, he was Troy's backup, and Jerry Jones loved him, right? Jerry Jones does not do the things that you expect a billionaire knee-jerk owner who demands results or else to do. Mike McCarthy has already probably outlasted what you would have expected in that scenario. Like, Jimmy Haslam would have fired Mike McCarthy a couple of years ago if he was owner of the Dallas Cowboys. So their true worst-case scenario is that they kind of repeat the last couple of years but with an obvious regression in offense that becomes pretty clear that like Mike McCarthy has dragged this thing in the wrong direction. And yet, because Jerry Jones is Jerry Jones, he doesn't do anything in the offseason in terms of changes. 
So you know, as a Cowboys fan, you are locked into this now for next year. I love the the tinge of disappointment in your voice when you talk about Jerry Jones billionaireing. You know, I, he's he's very good at it. He's very good at it overall, but he should be making more rash decisions. Look, I need I need a, a true role model when it comes to billionaireing, and Jerry Jones is usually my guy. But in this one area, he lets he lets the team down. <laughs> It should be like George Steinbrenner with the Yankees, like hire and fire the same guy. I don't know if you know anything about that, but he Steinbrenner with the Yankees had Billy Martin hired and fired it, at least three times. <laughs> now, we, Jerry, imagine if Jerry's just like, if he just brought back Jimmy Johnson like four or five times throughout his career, that would be amazing. Like, go back to Jimmy, bring Jimmy back. All right, uh, Chicago Bears. Did we do worst case? Yeah, we did that. Uh, Chicago Bears, best case scenario for the Bears. This is an interesting one. Because it's it's narrative land, not so much wins and losses, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's big big jump from Justin Fields as a passer in particular. Yep. Like it's it's him him realizing the kind of jump that Jalen Hurts took, you know. And okay, last year was impressive, right? You bought yourself the job, you won it back with really no help around you because you turned out you were an incredible athlete and, and runner and all those kinds of things. So now we found you, DJ Moore. You know, we've given you some help. The offensive line is better. Now go out and show you can be that passer that you were at Ohio State, you know, and then really turn yourself into an elite quarterback. I would add to that. So completely agree, obviously, Justin Fields from a passing standpoint. I would also say all of Ryan Pohl's moves, you know, not that you hit every single one, but the investment in Tremaine Edmonds and TJ Edwards at linebacker comes good. Uh, the draft picks, right? Darnell Wright as your first-round pick looks good as a rookie. There's a lot of good reports coming out of camp that Gervin Dexter, the second-rounder out of Florida that I thought was a, a, not the best pick, that he's looking great in camp. You'll prove Steve wrong with all your non-model picks. I think all of that, DJ Moore being the true number one, all of those things coming together along with Justin Fields. So uh, a lot of what Ryan Poles touches looking good. Justin Fields taking the next step as a passer. Worst case scenario, uh, the opposite of those two things. Specifically, Justin Fields not taking a step forward as a passer, and you're picking in the top ten again, and maybe you get the next quarterback, but you're um, you just you're a, you need a quarterback again at the end of the year, maybe. Yeah, I mean the worst. Yes, the worst case is they got it wrong essentially this offseason, right? Where they had the they had the option: do you get rid of Justin Fields and draft Bryce Young and number one overall? You know, do you start again essentially, or do you? put faith in Justin Fields, give him the chance to prove that he can be the guy with a better supporting cast. They went with Justin Fields. If he doesn't take a step forward, if he doesn't improve with a better supporting cast, they essentially got it wrong, probably. Um, and if they do that, if he does that at the same time as the talent around him got better, well, now you've probably taken yourself further away from the number one overall pick and the chance to draft Caleb Williams or whoever it is. <laughs> yeah, that would be – that's definitely in worst case for the Bears. Um, but it, it's it's Fields, and then, again, all of the, the turnover that they've had roster-wise doesn't appear to be working. Whether, you know, whether it's um, – whether it is Tremaine Edmonds regressing back into what he was before his breakout season, whether it is uh, all, you know, the plethora of draft picks that they've brought in the last couple of years just not being all that good, all that stuff's part of the worst-case scenario for the Bears. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carolina Panthers are next so their best case could be part of the Bears worst case like you mentioned if Bryce Young looks like that guy already and 
I know it's always fun to look at the next draft class and Caleb Williams and Drake May and whoever, but if Bryce Young looks like a star right away, yeah, you, if you're the Bears, you might be questioning not just taking him. Um, but yeah, part of your best case for the Panthers has to be just positive rookie season for Bryce Young. Not even positive. I think because Bryce Young is such a unique prospect, I think their best case is being my size matters not one jot to his performance in the NFL. And he's the same guy in the NFL as he was in college, right? Which is to say the best quarterback in the nation. And, you know, if, if he's able to be an absolute anticipation throwing savant with ad-libbing skills in the backfield, with, you know, the, the capacity to make plays left, right, and center, all at the same time as not turning it over ever you know, 2.0% turnover-worthy play rate. If he's that guy out of the box and your only concern is that he's tiny and we've never seen a guy do it at this size, the Panthers are good immediately. Like, that makes him like a high-level quarterback. And, and specifically hmm. now, when we get to the NFC South, as we mentioned with the Saints or the Panthers, um, the Bucks. I mean, the division's wide open, too. If that best-case scenario hits, which is more important, you also might stumble into a division win you know, in, right. in the NFC South, which is which is all fun. I mean, I don't think that's necessarily the goal as a Panthers fan is to be like, we've got to win the division this year. To me, it's always, what's Bryce Young going to be two and three years from now and making sure that we have the pieces around him at that point. But yeah, if Bryce Young is that good right away, the Panthers have put this roster in a place where the, you know, the receivers are decent enough and the line's decent enough and the defense has enough potential that they're in the NFC South mix again. Yeah. Worst I case, agree. Bryce Young's too short. Their their ideal range of outcomes absolutely includes winning the division, you know, with I, I think Bryce Young threatening the top ten of quarterbacks day one. Not day one, but like year one is is in the realistic range of most optimistic outcomes. Top ten like for this year <laughs> or just going forward that he can get there? Yeah, like going forward. Like Ending the season, you know, with a PFF grade of 80, 80 to 80, you know, two, three. Like that. This That's is what Mike Jones did year one. He was a better quarterback yeah, than no, Mike Jones. I know. That's fair. Worst case, he's too short. All of those <laughs> concerns come back to bite and. You know, they win another handful of games and they're in the same position the Bears were. Oh, should they give up on Bryce Young after year one? Caleb Williams and Drake May are there. No, I don't know yeah, if they'll, they'll be that I bad. Mean, but. True worst case is either he gets broken, you know, with a big hit early and you're like, wow, this guy's just too small to play at the NFL level. Or he spends like his entire time trying to, you know, he, he plays, plays the way Patrick Mahomes played at Texas Tech. Like not for like, yeah, like seven dropbacks in the pocket, right? The rest of his entire life was spent ad-libbing on the move. And you're like, okay, this is great, but it's just not NFL play. That's more um, like NFL Zach Wilson, right? Who just throws all of his yeah. passes from the right sideline somehow. Right. Or Baker Mayfield, like whatever, like yeah. anything happened, he rolled out to the right and tried to find like a pass. Like the, something like that, you're like, this dude cannot function from a pocket. That's a good point. It's something probably pocket, pocket presence-wise with Young, how he manipulates things and how he just operates that yeah, we would keep an eye on as far as worst-case scenario goes. And if that's the case, then the Panthers don't win many games. Yes. All right, two more teams. Atlanta Falcons. <coughs> Best-case scenario, much like the Sam Howell one, is Desmond Ritter's the dude, right? 
Yeah, <clears throat> I don't think they even need to necessarily be that optimistic, though. Like, uh, viability for them. Like, I think Washington needs Sam Howell to be good for them to have a real, like, high-end sort of outcome. Whereas I think Atlanta really just needs somebody not to stink. And it doesn't even need to be Ritter. Like, it can be Heineke. Just better than better than Mariota was last year. Like, just give me viable, viable quarterback play. Just just don't be actively problematic at the position, right? We have Bijan Robinson in this backfield of studs. We have a dominant offensive line. We have good receivers, Kyle Pitts, Drake London. We have guys that can make plays. All you need to do is to not actively undermine it by being terrible. So the other, I would say on the defensive side, as far as best case scenario, is those defensive additions need to be good as well. Jesse Bates, Calais right. Campbell, Caden uh, Ellis, a lot of the turnover that they've had on the defensive side of the ball has to hit for this best case scenario. And much like every other team in the NFC South, a, a uh, division title is in the range of outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting because, you know, if Ritter hits and he's your guy, I think it's good, though. I mean, I, I think a best case scenario is confidence that he's your quarterback going forward. I don't know if it's the worst case if he's bad, other than you're, you're just it might feel like you wasted a season with Ritter because you made those other additions and it looks like the rest of the roster is upgraded, but it could be a waste if Ritter is is a below average quarterback, graded at 55 last last year. If he grades in the you know low to mid 60s, you're only winning a handful of games, I believe. Yeah, the problem with him being bad is simply where the next guy is coming from, you yeah. know, like because he's because the team is probably not going to be bad enough for them to be picking one, two, three, whatever. Like you need a pathway to that next quarterback, but the situation for the next quarterback should be really good. So, yeah, it's their worst case scenario is, is difficult to kind of articulate because I don't think they can be truly terrible. Uh, part of the best case scenario, too, is just fun. I say it's a lot of fun having Cordero Patterson and Bijan and a monster like Drake London, monster like Kyle Pitts, speedster like Scotty Miller. It's a fun team, especially yeah. if Ritter can uh, can get the ball out there to those guys. So, um, yeah, so I think Atlanta could be from division winner like anyone else in the NFC South back to picking in the top 10 and massive question marks at quarterback going into 2024. Arizona Cardinals, what's their best case scenario besides making sure that they pick number one? How do we answer this question? Because in the optimism show, I was like, man, you're set up to pick number one. Be optimistic. Well, so, yeah, let's – well, let's first answer that question. Is it better for Arizona if they pick number one and they have, you know, an un, unblocked pathway to Caleb Williams as the next quarterback? Or if Kyler Murray comes back at week eight and looks like an all-pro, like is immediately back to his best, maybe a little bit better, and looks just phenomenal, and he's the guy going forward. Which is better for them? I think they're both really good. I mean, or, organizationally, I would probably lean Caleb Williams. Um, but for the sake of this show, we're mostly talking about the 2023 season. So let's paint the picture of what does a good 2023 season look like for the Cardinals on the field? Uh, it involves Colt McCoy holding the fort for a little bit, and then Kyler Murray coming back and looking like he did throughout the first half of 2021. We're going to go back into that positive yeah. traje trajectory. Like, I, I mean, at that point, I don't even care what the Colt McCoy part looks like. It's it's like getting, to me, a, the, the most optimistic season for Arizona is you get through the Colt McCoy period, which lasts as short as mercifully possible, 
you get Kyler Murray back in the field and Kyler Murray looks like the best version of Kyler Murray can look. And regardless of what that looks like in terms of wins and losses this season, you're actually, you feel good about where the team can go going forward because you already have the quarterback and now you just need to put everything back together around him. But he came back from a big injury and looked as good as he's ever looked. And, you know, there's, there's no more talk of call of duty and, you know, homework and all that kind of crap, right? Like we're, the off-field stuff, whatever it is with Kyler Murray, disappears and the on-field stuff looks as good as it's ever looked. And the organization for the first time in a long time looks like it has a clear, and not even a long time, actually, the first time in a couple of years, looks like it has a clear pathway towards being good. I'll buy all that. And then the other part I would say is if, like any other first-year coach, we don't know what Jonathan Gannon is actually going to be, but if he's like a Brian Dayball and all of a sudden the Cardinals are winning all these one-score games and he's, you know turning the right dials and making the right moves and it's like oh maybe they found their maybe they found an awesome head coach not just another head coach that would be something to keep an eye out for if you're a Cardinals fan as well or or simply you know as a defensive minded guy if he's able to somehow tap into like if they if he's able to resuscitate the careers of Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons yes. and you know the young talented players that they have on defense uh Cameron Thomas, Myjai Sanders, BJ Ojolari I mean, even like guys like Marco Wilson, like they actually have a lot of young talents on this defense. It's underachieved, but there's, there's pieces there. Like if he's able to come in and three or four of those guys look like different players, that's huge. Now, the worst case scenario is all those guys look like the same players. <laughs> and there's not a lot of talent on this team and they might not win a game. Yeah. The worst Tyler case Murray scenario doesn't come is back, the whole thing. Worst case scenario is one of the worst defenses you've ever seen on paper is one of the worst defenses you've ever seen on the field. Um, that having an offensive line with three left tackles in it is a problem. That your quarterback being Colt McCoy in year, well, like what are we in, year 12 of Colt McCoy's career is simply not an NFL-level system. You're 14 and for Colt McCoy, like by the way. Either Kyler Murray doesn't come back in the season or comes back for like three games and looks like crap. Um, and now you have no idea what you're doing as a franchise. Yeah, but it ends up being good. Because maybe you get but to But you have the clear pathway through to Caleb Williams. Yeah, so bad can be good. But yeah, on the field, there's definitely a worst case scenario as far as win totals go. Yeah, the, Pan uh, the Cardinals look like they could be getting the number one pick. Over-under for them is four and a half this year. That's Actually... It might be a you know bit. what a worst case scenario for them might be is actually that that Kyler Murray comes back and sort of plots a course somewhere in the middle where he doesn't look amazing, he doesn't look bad, and now you don't know because you're good. Like the Cardinals are unlike any of these other teams where they will have a shot at Caleb Williams because they have that extra first round pick and they're probably going to stink. So, but even if they don't stink enough to pick number one overall because they have the extra first. They're going to have a shot at number one if they want it, right? So they're always going to have a shot at that at getting Caleb Williams. So the worst thing that can happen for them is you don't know if Kyler will if Kyler Murray is your guy going. If you should go with Caleb Williams because Kyler Murray has shown maybe just enough, but not enough for you to go 100. He's our guy. He's, he's like also, he looked good but not great. He's also just difficult to trade anyway. So like we keep saying, hey, just go get Caleb Williams, but you're gonna you're gonna incur some some rough cap hits and various things like that if you do try to trade Kyler Murray. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be an interesting year for the Cardinals once they get to that those decisions. All 32 teams are done, I believe. Don't think we forgot anyone. 
That's it, man. Best and worst case scenarios for every team in the NFC. It was reverse alphabetical order today. And uh, that's the same thing we did on Monday. Go check out the AFC show if you have not already. And like I said earlier, please email us, NFLpodcast at pff.com. I want to review an old draft. We'll put a poll out there on some of the uh, more exciting ones. Was it Michael Vick going number one overall? Aaron Rodgers' fall in 2005? Is it the 08 draft? I don't know why I keep saying that, but it's online. 2010 draft was really interesting. Um, Let's see. Let's talk. We'll, We'll review an old draft that you guys are looking for anyway i'm done I'm talking in. i've got nothing else you're going back to the florida heat you survived is it hot over there it's pretty hot yeah good luck with that yeah well, there's a lot of air conditioning is, is the key i'm discovering all right i think we got trevor and brad for you tomorrow i believe this is the wednesday show and they'll be here on the thursday show who knows who knows but uh we appreciate everybody for tuning in and uh we'll talk to you again soon here pff nfl podcast